0: The reading is taken from uh, page 1195 in the Church Bibles, 1195 to Timothy chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's world, God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself.
1: Great evening, everyone. Let me just make this me high. There we go. (laughs) Lovely to be with you. My name is Rich. I'm the youth and families minister down the road at Holy Cross Church. I'm not normally able to be here because we've got youth group, but, um, given it's holidays, I've got a free evening. Great to be with you. Let's, um, open up that passage. If you've closed it again, 1195. And we're going to think about what God is teaching us. Let's pray as we do that together. Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. How wonderful it is to know that we have a God who opens his mouth and speaks. Thank you that you've done that supremely in the Lord Jesus and you've done that in your word to us about him. Help us to understand now as you speak to us what you would want us to know. And help us to remember the things that we have heard today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start by asking you to put your hand up if, sorry, a bit of participation, if you feel like this, I haven't got a monitor, have I? Is this monitor not on? If you feel like this about Marmite, can you keep your hand up if you absolutely hate Marmite? We did this this morning, there were way more at Holy Cross that hate it. Okay, keep your hand up if you feel like this about Jaffa Cakes. If you hate Marmite but love Jaffa Cakes. Now, here's an important question. Keep your hand up if you would be willing to come and eat a spoonful of Marmite to win a box of Jaffa Cakes. There's one per, is that, there- anybody? Matt's kind of got his hand up. Go on then, Matt. Sorry, it'll be a little spoon. We did this at Holy Cross this morning. It was the vicar that came up, so I made sure the spoon was massive. But I'm not going to do that for Dave. Okay.
0: That's quite a lot.
1: It... It was a full spoon this morning, so ready, this is yeah. little. Yeah. Right, well, okay, ready? Oh, by the way, I should say there's a glass of water there if you need to, okay. <laughs> they, my friend, are yours. Enjoy. I'm, I'm going to put these here. Now, yeah, that's yours. Sometimes you have to put up with the nastiness before the good things can come. Sometimes you have to go through Marmite moments, before things get better. And the Christian life is full of Marmite moments. And of course the suffering that we might face is way worse than any Marmite. But the Christian life is also full of hope. Hope of a glorious, amazing future in heaven. And of course that is way better than a box of Jaffa cakes. Now that's not to say that while we wait for heaven, all that there is for us right now is the Marmite moments. The Christian life is one where we enjoy a relationship with the God who made us. It is the best life. But it's also a hard life until we get to heaven. And Paul here in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy is wanting Timothy to be realistic. He says the general pattern of Christian life is suffering first and glory later. It's full of Marmite moments first and then eventually It's Jaffa Cake Paradise. And Paul wants Timothy to know that is especially true in gospel ministry. Look at how he starts in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, You then, my son. Or, as for you, Timothy. He's marking Timothy out from the others. My dear boy... Everyone has deserted me. You know, I haven't been ashamed of the gospel and I'm in prison for that. I'm suffering. Everybody else has walked away. Apart from our mate Onesie, he was faithful to the end. But my dear son Timothy, what about you? I remember your mum and your granny and they loved Jesus. They were faithful people and now you believe the same thing. The church recognised your gifts. Your gifts particularly in ministry, when we laid our hands on you. And we know that God himself has equipped you for this work. So Timothy, will you do it? You will get on, won't you, with being a faithful, unashamed gospel minister. But Timothy, my son, please be realistic. Understand what this means for you. There will be Marmite moments. It will be a life of suffering now and then glory. And so Timothy, it's going to mean three things. It will mean being strong in the grace of Jesus. It will mean sharing in suffering now. And it will mean remembering our Lord Jesus. And we use those three things as, as headings and if you want to you can uh, follow on the backs of the service orders you'll find notes, um, spaces for notes there. But given, given this is a letter particularly to a church leader it primarily applies to Phil and then to Tim and then to others of us involved in church leadership. But we're going to see that the pattern of, gl- uh, of suffering first and glory later is a pattern for all of us who want to follow Jesus faithfully. So here's the first of the three things Paul says. Be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. Have a look down at verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If Timothy is to get on with his job, then he needs to be Strong. But he won't find that strength in and of himself. We've got a two year old at home and he's in that kind of stage and has been for a bit where, uh, putting on shoes or putting on the coat or whatever is, whatever it is, has to be done by him. I can do it daddy. I can do it. Me. He thinks he's strong enough. But Timothy knows, but Timothy needs to know rather that he's not strong enough, not on himself, not by himself, to do this job. He needs a supernatural strengthening from the Lord himself. And that is found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God's grace is his undeserved kindness. Doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In chapter 1, Paul has talked about this grace and he says that this grace has saved us and called us to a holy life. This grace has been revealed through Jesus who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ is truly amazing. But as well as saving grace, Paul also has in mind the sustaining grace of Jesus. The resources Timothy needs for the work are not found in himself, I can do it, but in Jesus and his grace. One writer says, it's not only for salvation that we are dependent on grace, but for service as well. And look at this particular job of service that Timothy wants Paul to be doing, that Paul wants Timothy to be doing, that he will need grace for. Verse 2, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Imagine yourself having a day trip out to visit the Tower of London to see the crown jewels. What would you expect to see, apart from the jewels? You'd expect to see thick sheets of glass between you and the expensive stuff. You'd expect to see tight security measures. You'd expect to see guards everywhere. In chapter 1, verse 13, Paul has told Timothy to guard the gospel. It's precious. It needs protecting, preserving... So imagine you're there on your trip in the Tower of London and then you notice one of the guards, the beef eaters, he's holding the crown and he gives it to you as you're standing in the queue and he allows you to pass it to the person behind and then they pass it on to the person behind them. Uh, And the crown jewels are quickly going all the way down the queue so that everyone can have a hold. Don't think that man would keep his job for very long, would he? That is not how you guard the crown jewels but it is how you guard the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2 says, it must be passed on. This powerful, life-giving gospel of grace, taught bu- publicly by Paul in the presence of others, must be now entrusted to others. Like a baton in a 4x4 four four relay, this gospel must be passed on. That is Paul's concern for Timothy. And it's his concern, notice, for future generations. So in verse 2, you've got Paul who's preached the gospel to Timothy. Paul, that's the he's the first generation. Timothy has heard Paul say these things. He's the second generation. Timothy must then trust them to reliable people. That's the third generation. And those people will in turn teach others. That's the fourth generation. Do you see, Paul has got an expansive view here of gospel ministry, a long-term security strategy of the gospel being passed on and on and on. And praise God, we here tonight in 2019 are evidence that this has worked because it's come to us down the generations. Let me just give you one exciting example in my ministry of of verse 2 at work. I was taught at youth group by a youth leader called Nick Margeson. He's the first generation. He taught me uh, when I was in his youth group. I was the second generation. I then uh, started helping in the youth group. And I passed it on to, um, with the help of my wife and others, um, one lad called Adam and one girl called Anna. That's the third generation. Now Adam is leading a church in Rygay. And Anna is doing youth and children's ministry. And they are both passing the gospel on to others. Fourth generation. Isn't that exciting? Verse 2 at work. Teaching, training, equipping others for the sake of the gospel in future generations. Man, that's a big job. (laughs) Isn't it? Timothy, don't just think about your salvation. Don't just think about the salvation of those in your church right now. Think about the salvation of those in four generations' time. Think about the potential for Marmite moments there were for Timothy. Paul, his mentor, is in a Roman cell, and he's probably thinking he could be next. There were false teachers in Ephesus, taking people away from the truth. There were others who had deserted Paul and therefore the gospel itself. And Timothy is being told he's responsible for future generations hearing the gospel. No wonder he needs help. No wonder he needs to be strong in the grace of Jesus. You can't do this on your own, Timothy. The job's too big. You can't be like a two-year-old to think that they're strong enough. You're not. And given this was primarily Timothy's job, it must still be primarily the job of our ministers. So let's be praying for Phil and for Tim, that they will find the sustaining and saving grace of Jesus, a source of strength, as they look to equip future generations. But we're all involved in this. John Piper says, we are all either goers or senders into word ministry. So even if we're not the ministers and the trainers, the goers, we can still be senders by supporting gospel training through prayer, through financial support. We can be encouraging our leaders in it. We can have a vision for it and a hunger for it. But if our leaders are to do this, And if we are to play our part, then we will need a spiritual backbone. Be strong in grace. Here's the second thing. Share in suffering. Have a look at verse 3. Paul says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ." Timothy will need to be strong in the grace of Jesus precisely because as he does the job of passing the gospel on, well, it will mean suffering comes his way. I'm not sure he's necessarily got in mind here the the kind of persecution that we see in, in other bits of the letter, but the costly, sacrificial effort that will be required for Timothy to do this job properly. And so Paul uses three illustrations to kind of bed in this point. One of a soldier, an athlete and a farmer. So let's quickly look at those. A soldier first of all. Verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I remember going to see the film Dunkirk. Was it last year or year before it was out? Um, It was a brilliant film, don't know if you've seen it, if you haven't, try and watch it, but maybe not when you're in a bad mood, that won't help. Because it's a brilliant film, but it's a really intense film. And the thing that struck me is that the reason it was intense is because it's not actually an easy watch. Because it gives you at least some idea of how tough it must be actually being a soldier. And that can be said of loads of war movies, Think of the Marmite moments they go through on the front line, ready to put their life on the line. And a soldier is separated from the ordinary stuff of life. They will not be distracted by things going on back home while they're in active service. There's a TV series called Seal Team that Susan and I have watched. It's alright, it's not especially great. Watch Dunkirk instead. But, What's really interesting about it is that there, there's lots of scenes where they're, um, when they're back home, they're at the bars or, or they're around their friends' houses for barbecues, they're with their families shopping. But when they're on mission, they are utterly focused. The leader won't let them talk about the things back home. Utterly on point. Focused on the job at hand. Ready to serve and do all that the officer asks. The Gospel minister is a soldier for Jesus. And Jesus himself is the commanding officer. And so they should be utterly focused, setting aside anything that could distract them from the job and being ready to put their life on the line in service of their commander. Next, the athlete, verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. This is not just about passing drugs tests, it's about training and discipline. In Paul's day, the rule was that you had to swear an oath to commit to 10 months of hard training. Only those who were disciplined enough to do the training were allowed to then compete and stand a chance of winning. Muhammad Ali said, I hated every minute of training, but I said, don't quit. Suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. Now, I don't think church leaders should hate every minute of what they do. But they will need to be disciplined and persevere through the pain of Marmite moments. And then the farmer, verse 6. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. We were on on holiday back in May, staying on a working farm. Uh, And despite it being holiday, my children still decided to wake up early. But we would be there pretty early with our children, still in our pajamas coming round, needing caffeine. And the farmer would whiz around on his tractor, looking like he'd been awake for hours. Farmers endure the marmite moments of long hours, don't they? Early starts, late finishes, hard work, toil. And of course lazy farmers end up having no crops and eventually no farm. There is no place for lazy gospel ministers. It requires hard work, toil, effort. These three illustrations really make the same broad point. Gospel ministers must give themselves to the work and endure the cost, hardship and suffering it will involve. So again, pray for Phil and for Tim and all our leaders to put in the hard work and the discipline and the effort for the sake of passing on the gospel. Pray that they would be prepared to suffer the Marmite moments for the sake of passing on the gospel. But we all need to be realistic that any kind of gospel work will be met with Marmite moments. Are you hoping to invite friends to the Alpha course in September? That's brilliant. And some will wonderfully say yes. But be realistic, others will give you the cold shoulder. Are you looking to start some new ministry at work or here at church? That is brilliant. But be realistic, it will be hard. Some things will go well, but there will be disappointments and challenges. Are you hoping to meet with someone to read the Bible one-to-one with them? That is great news. But be realistic. It's going to be hard. You're going to have great times, but it will require costly investment. Are you trying to tell people about Jesus in your contexts? I praise God for you. But be realistic. It will be hard. You might have some good chats, but you also might be made to feel weird. I think that's why Paul writes verse 7, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Reflect on how tough ministry is. Ask God to help you to see what you might especially need to endure. Reflect on the grace of Jesus and how that's going to strengthen you in that particular context. But as we do that, it's really important we maintain a future Perspective. The Marmite moments will come, but the end results will be Jaffa Cake Paradise. You see, all three of these illustrations also have a future focus. The soldier wants to please his commanding officer. When battle is done, he'll want the approval of the one he serves. The athlete receives the victor's crown, and all the training's been worth it. The farmer gets the reward of the harvest for all his efforts. Paul wants Timothy to be sure there is a glorious future to come. But first, there's suffering. Right now, it's battle stations. But the bumper harvest, the victory crown, the well done good and faithful servant is coming. And what Paul says next, emphasising all of that, and here's the third and final point. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Each term I try to get away to do some planning for the, for the coming term. And I go to my brother's house in, in Eastbourne. And somewhat embarrassingly, embarrassingly, there's been a number of times when he's called up to me, do you want a cup of tea? And I've responded in the way that I normally do when my wife asks that question. Yes, please, darling. It's an instinctive response which he thinks is hilarious. In the moment, I forget who he is. And Paul seems to think that can be true of gospel ministers with Jesus. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Isn't that a bit weird? How, how could a gospel minister remember their, forget rather their Lord and Savior and King? And yet when the Marmite moments come, we are prone to forget and we lose our focus and our perspective as we focus on the pain instead of on our Jesus. And so Paul says, remember Jesus. Focus on Him. Don't let him out of your sight. And remember the real Jesus. Verse 8 Remember the real Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Jesus, the name God saves, who willingly died for sin and rose again for us. Christ chosen, anointed Davidic king who rules over everything and brings people into his eternal kingdom. Timothy, that is the Jesus, the real Jesus who you must remember. The work of faithfully guarding the gospel is to pass down the truth of the real Jesus Let's pray that the church in every generation would remember Jesus. Paul says, this is my gospel. In other words, the true gospel which God himself has entrusted to me. Verse 9, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Yet God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is chained to a wall, yet remains upbeat because he remembers Jesus. And he knows that God's word about Jesus can't be chained to a wall. It is still at work to save people. And so he is willing to go through his own Marmite moment so that others can know eternal glory later. Churches and church leaders who remember Jesus and are prepared to suffer for Jesus will be churches where people are one for Jesus. So remembering Jesus means remembering all that he's done to save sinners and knowing our suffering now is worth it because of others' future glory. But remembering Jesus also means remembering the pattern that he's laid out for us. The phrase Christ Jesus comes up 12 different times in this letter. But here in verse 8, it's the only time Paul writes it the other way around. Jesus Christ. And I think that's deliberate because it reflects this pattern of suffering now and glory later. Jesus Christ, the man who willingly suffered on the cross for the sake of his people first. Yes, he was raised from the dead, but first he had to die. But he's also Jesus Christ, the Davidic King, who has conquered and now reigns victoriously over all. Remember the real Jesus, who first suffered the worst imaginable Marmite moment, and then went to glory. The example left by Jesus is the example for all that follow him. It was Paul's experience, it would be Timothy's, and it will be ours, especially for those of us in gospel ministry. And this trustworthy saying at the end of this chunk, in verse 11 to 13, it supports all of this and makes it clear. Verse 11, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we, will in, if we endure, we will also reign with him. The film, The Greatest Showman has got that song, This Is Me in it, and the line goes like this, I'm going to dance to the beat, I drum." This is me. It's a great little illustration for sin, that. But if we truly remember Jesus, then we will die to self. And that's the mark of genuine Christianity. Saying no to what I want and dancing to the beat that Jesus drums. But if we deny self and we faithfully endure suffering and hardship in the present, then we can expect to share in his final heavenly reign. Isn't that incredible? Being with Jesus in the new creation, not just on the sideline, but reigning with him. No amount of Jaffa cakes compares to that. But there is a warning also here. Second half of verse 12. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we refuse to die to ourselves and we refuse to suffer for the gospel, if we refuse to remember Jesus and instead disown him, we need to know he will also disown us. When he comes back to judge the world, he will say, I never knew you. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Jesus cannot go back on his promise to judge those who disown him. So all those that remain persistently faithless, Jesus will bring judgment on them, because he is faithful to his words. And of course, if he's faithful to his word, he will also stick to his promise of getting all those who are faithful to him to glory. But we must heed the, verse, uh, the verses here. We must heed them. Well, as we wrap up, um, this is a bit of a gear shift, but CBeebies is off and on in my house. And one of the programs that is normally on is, oh, there we go, missed that slide out, is Topsy and Tim. And at the end of each episode of Topsy and Tim, they have a memory game. And at the end of that episode, they ask the same question. This is the question they ask. Are you good at remembering? I wonder about you. Are you good at remembering Jesus Christ? Raised from the dead descended from David. See, it's really easy to buy into this myth that says Jesus basically wants to make our lives easier now, to make us happy and take away all our troubles. That is not the gospel. These verses don't teach that that is true. We've got to be realistic and understand the pattern of life for us Is suffering first and glory later, especially as we go about the work of gospel ministry. It's especially true of our leaders, but it's true for all of us. If this was the life our Lord lived, then it's the pattern that we will follow too. And we must heed the warning if we're not prepared to put Jesus first. And suffer for him. And yet, if we are good at remembering Jesus, when we remember Jesus and all that he did for us and all that he has in store for us, then we will be strong and we will be prepared to share in sufferings. We will go through the Marmite moments knowing that jaffa-cake paradise is coming. Let's pray together. You then, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering Like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Descended from David. This is my gospel. Lord this is our gospel. And we pray that these three things would be true of our leaders. Would be true of our churches. And would be true of us. In Jesus name. Amen.